Grab your Bibles and let's go to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 24 into chapter 2, and we're going to go to chapter 2, verse 5. So beginning in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, we're going to read 24 all the way into chapter 2, verse 5. All right, let's just, let's just pause our hearts here for a second. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Ah, Thank you that you are present, that you are present in the midst of so many things that are happening in our lives, not just in this church, but Lord, so many things that are happening in our lives. Job struggles, job opportunities, managing uh, homes, managing families, managing singleness, managing breakups. God, we just, right now, we bring all of who we are to you in this space. All of our anxiety about the future, the things that we're sad about, the things, God, that we're we're really just ticked off about right now in this moment, we just bring it all to you. We invite you into every room of our emotional house. We invite you into every space of our lives. And we say, let your kingdom come and let your will be done and be Lord and be Christ over it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians chapter one, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Now, Can I just give you a little bit of a heads up on what's coming in these verses? I want you, if you are underlining people or if you're a note-taking people, I want you to take note of every time it says either explicitly or implicitly this idea of for you, for you, for your sake, all right? So now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but it is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Verse 27, to them, to the Lord's people, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus, he is the one that we proclaim, admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. In other words, everything that I'm doing is so that we can present every single person under the purview of our responsibility and our stewardship in God. We want to present them mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend. I labor with all of the energy that Christ so powerfully 
works in me. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. To this end, to the end of seeing that people mature, to the end of seeing that babies in God grow up to become strong men and women of God, spiritual fathers and mothers, ministers of the gospel, people that are able and willing to lay their lives down because they have been captivated with the revelation of Jesus. He goes to this end. To this end, I am giving my life. I am literally suffering and struggling so that people come to a place where they're mature enough to live for somebody else beyond themselves. And I'm doing this not out of my own willpower, not out of my own strength. I am doing this with something of God himself working in me, giving me the ability to do what I cannot do by myself. All right. I want you to know how hard, this is chapter two now, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you, for you. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you. I'm fighting for you. I'm in battle over you. I'm agonizing over you in the place of prayer and in the place of my own struggle and my own suffering. But then watch this. I'm not only doing that for you, I'm doing that for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. So if you're joining us midstream in this series, one of the things that we discovered early on as we talked about some of the historical context in the book of Colossians is that Paul has not even been to the city yet. One of his spiritual sons, a young guy by the name of Epaphras, was sent on a missionary journey to the city of Colossae, leads them to the Lord. There's a church that's planted, and Epaphras comes back and reports to Paul, and Paul writes him a letter. He's not even been there, and he says to these guys, guys, I am laying down my life. I am struggling. I am contending. I, can't, I long to be with you, but until I can be with you, I am going to pray my guts out. I am going to fast. I'm going to make sacrifices. I'm going to write you letters. I'm going to keep studying. I'm going to make sure that the doctrine that I am uh, giving myself to is the doctrine that is good and right and true so that I can protect you from false doctrines that are trying to come in to this fledgling, fledgling little baby church. He's like, I am laying down my life for you. Verse two, and my goal, the reason why I'm doing this is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. Listen to this. This is amazing. He says, I'm doing all of this so that you can know Jesus. I'm doing all of this so that you can know him in a way that you have never known him before. Okay, we're going to pause right here. Today, we're going to talk about growing in maturity growing in maturity. We've taken a journey and we've threaded all these messages together with this similar theme of growing, growing in prayer, growing in Christ, growing in love, growing in reconciliation. And today we're going to talk about growing in maturity. We've just got a few minutes here. The big overarching idea is this. One of the primary marks of maturity is the growing willingness to live for others. Like you want to see somebody who's mature, they, they begin to embrace, they begin to wrap their heart and their will and their mind around, I am going to make decisions for somebody else and it's not going to benefit me. One of the growing marks of maturity is the ability to sacrifice and suffer and struggle and surrender in such a way that you are not the primary beneficiary of those moves. And that is counterintuitive. Maybe it's just counterintuitive to me. It's not natural for me to want to sacrifice and struggle and suffer in a way that I don't somehow come out on top. 
right? So for those of you guys who, you know, you study sports, I like reading self-help books and self-improvement books and all these things. And there's this overarching mantra, like one of the guys I look up to a lot is Kobe Bryant. And you just, you get into his work ethic and man, that guy is just a, he's a machine, right? And he just talks about being disciplined and working hard and waking up at 4 a.m. and, and cutting things out of your life. But all of that is to win championships. All of that's to be the best, But what we see, the ethic of the gospel is, hey, yeah, be disciplined, cut things out of your life, make sacrifices, make struggles, suffer. But at the end of the day, you may not be the name that everybody is cheering. At the end of the day, all of that suffering and all of that struggle and all that sacrifice may mean that there is another group of people that benefit and nobody even knows who you are. And that is the way of the kingdom. Like the marks of maturity, let me just say a couple of things about maturity because um, number one, we can't say everything there is to say about maturity in one 20 minute message. Okay, maturity and growth are possible for every person in Christ. Have you ever, been, you ever hit those crossroads in your life? Maybe you've hit that wall and the enemy is just right there lying to you and saying that you are never gonna get beyond where you're at. Anybody ever felt that? I felt that. I felt that in key junctures in my life where you keep running up against the same sin struggle, where you keep running up against the same behavioral pattern, and then you, you, start, you start parting with the enemy and you start accusing yourself and you're like, oh my God, why can't I ever get this right? You ever, anybody there? Okay, it's just me. All right, listen, let me just say to you this morning, if you have ever felt that way, growth and maturity are not only possible for you, they are made available for you in Christ the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in your life. And let me encourage you, you're growing and maturing in more ways than you realize. You really are. I remember years ago when I was a college student, one of our directors uh, to our Mexico war trip, he would give us this example about, you know, remember when you were a kid and you were experiencing those, those growth surges in your life and maybe you, you had a parent who would put you up against a wall and kind of, you know, take a pencil and mark a, a part of the wall there and then six months later, mark again and 12 months later, mark again. You never feel yourself growing. You're never like, wait, 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 hope, oh, guys, wait. There's an inch. Like you, you never do that, but there are moments in life, there are benchmarks in life where you can look back and you're going, listen, I'm not where I want to be, but there was a time in my life where I would have exploded right there and I didn't. There was a time in my life where I'm up late at night and it's just me and a computer and there are places that I want to go to. There was a time in my life I would have gone to those and I resisted, I resisted tonight. I resisted tonight. Now tomorrow's a new day, but tonight I resisted. I grew. You understand what I'm saying? Like there was a time where I had an extra $100 and I would have just blown it on eBay, but I chose to give it. I grew, I grew. You see, listen, so there's moments in life, like every moment of life is an opportunity where these these little check marks can happen. And I wanna encourage you guys, like rejoice in those moments where you're seeing growth. It's natural and it's intuitive to only look at the, the areas where we blow it. Hey, listen, if you blow it, run to God, let him forgive you, let him cover you with grace. Yeah, pick yourself back up and then just walk in God again and live life. You're gonna grow, you're growing, all right? Number two, growth and maturity are expected of every person in Christ. Not only are they possible, not only are they available, but it's actually something that God expects of us, all right? It's not kind of this, you know, take it or leave it deal. Like God really does expect for us to grow up. And we see this all throughout the New Testament. Number three, spiritual growth and maturity are only possible in Christ by his spirit. Your spiritual maturity will not happen by your own works. 
You cannot, you cannot wrestle this thing to the ground and will your spiritual maturity into happening. It happens as a result of grace. Now, there are things that we can do to partner with grace. We call these spiritual habits and disciplines and rhythms. But in and of themselves, those things themselves are not the means of grace. God is pouring his grace out to us and he's making spiritual maturity available. Number four, it's an ongoing and lifelong process. You will never stop maturing in Christ. 80 years old and you will still, I promise you, as long as you're living in a shell called the flesh, you will still have opportunities to mature in Christ. Um, Our spiritual growth and maturity must be measured, number five, by Christ's life, not our own. Right? Not the standards of this world. Right? Being old does not mean you're mature. Okay? Being Christ-like means you're mature. And finally, guys, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just a list to kind of help us get into this content. All right, so I'm not going to read this again, but I hope that you'll read this again. And I hope that you saw this morning all of the times where Paul mentioned this phrase, I am doing this for you, for you. Let's look, if we could, again at Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Denise, we're going from there to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But right now, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Look at what Paul says. Now, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Who says that? Who says that? Now, there are some people that are way better than me that say that kind of stuff. But Paul is saying this over people he has never met before. I am making sacrifices in this prison cell, and I have a very clear, this is very clear to me, that I'm not just in this prison cell for myself. And I'm not just in this prison cell for you, God. I am in this prison cell writing these letters of encouragement and discipleship to a young baby church for them. For them. All right, let's let's kind of take a journey here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to just kind of pull from a couple other different Paul's letters. And guys, the amount of scriptures on this topic is endless. But 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 5. Verse 5, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, who's it for? Come on, talk to me, church. It is for your comfort and salvation. If we are distressed, it's because there's something that's going to be produced in you. Now, listen, let me just, let me show you a vision of your life. This is something that God is calling every one of us to. The goal of your life, and by the way, don't be condemned and don't be discouraged if you're not here right now. But the goal of your life is to get you to a place where you are a minister. And what does that mean? It's this. It's this. It's not a stage per se. It's not fame. It's not notoriety. It's not a billion likes on your Twitter feed, right? Ministry in the gospel context is the ability to say that I'm going to do the hard work And I'm going to suffer and struggle and make sacrifices so that somebody else, even people I don't know, will benefit as a result in God, in their relationship with Jesus, 
and in their life in the kingdom. So every single one of you are called to this. This is the vision of your life. God is calling you to become more like Christ. And what does that mean? It means this. It means that spiritual maturity is a cruciform life. What does cruciform mean? It just means a life that is lived in a crucified manner on behalf of others. Let's keep reading these verses. And, and Denise, if, if it's okay, let's just leave these on here. I want these words just to kind of, just kind of penetrate. Verse six, verse 6, if we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort. Like, listen to Paul. He's saying, everything that God does in my life, I am not the sole recipient or the sole beneficiary of anything. If I'm blessed, it's for you. If God strengthens me when I'm weak, it's for you. If God picks me up when I'm down, it's for you. If God brings something of good report in my life, it's for you. If I'm going through a difficult time and I find God in a new way, it's for you. Everything that God is doing in my life is so that somebody in some way can benefit from it. As a result, let's keep reading. If it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. Guys, this is the Christian life. And our hope for you, for you, our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. This is Paul giving a list of some of the sufferings and struggles that he has gone through. He says here, but we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of the spirit, the treasure of the revelations of God. We have these amazing things that God has given to us to show that his incredible all-surpassing power is from him. It's not from us. Now let's walk into this. Listen to, listen to Paul. We are hard pressed on every side. Every side. It's like everywhere that I turn, there's difficulty, there's struggle, there's affliction. We are hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. We're confused. Our emotions are going through a hurricane. There's so much volatility inside of us, but we are not hopeless. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And now watch this. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. In other words, we're dying here. We're dying to our ego. We're dying to our flesh. We're dying to our selfishness. We're dying to our lustful tendencies. We're dying to our anger. And here's why. We're dying so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Verse 12 is the kicker. So then death is at work in us but life is at work in you. Life is at work in you. Some of you right now are going through some horrendous emotional pain right now. And here's what I wanna to say to you. As you lean into God, as you don't run from him, as you let him heal, as you let him restore you, there's gonna be someone on the other side of that who experiences the life of the death that you're carrying right now. Sharing in the sufferings of others is 
sharing in the sufferings of Christ. So let's just follow the thread here. In the scriptures, one of the hallmarks of maturity is the ability to live our lives or to suffer for the sake of Christ. The second thought here is how do we share in the sufferings of God by sharing in the sufferings of others? Look at Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, there's a story about a guy who was literally persecuting the church of Jesus. His name was Saul. And he was going around from town to town. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. He's going around from town to town, and he has orders to yank Christians out of their homes and out of churches and send them off to prison. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So he went to the high priest of the synagogue, the religious structure of Judaism of that day, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anybody who was a Christian, man, woman, doesn't matter, he was going to take them as prisoners and take them back to Jerusalem. So on his way, he's got death sentences in his hands, and he is on a hunt to go find Christians. Verse 3, and as he neared Damascus on his journey, a light from heaven flashed around him. And here it is, verse 4. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, Jesus has already been crucified. Jesus has already been beat. Jesus has already been resurrected. He's in heaven right now. And he shows up to Saul and he says, listen, pal, what you're doing, you're doing to me. Why do you persecute me? Why are you hurting me? Because what you do to my body, you do to me. So when you slander another brother in Christ, you're slandering God. So when you're impatient with someone else's growth journey, who's a brother and sister in Christ, you're impatient with God. Because what you do to a member of Christ's body, you are doing to him. So the way that we share in the sufferings of Christ is we learn how to share in the sufferings of others. I mentioned this book I was reading last week. I wish, honestly, that I would have pulled out some material because... I feel like it just fits so aptly right here, but there's an entire chapter on lament. And we've talked about lament from time to time here, but I really don't think that we got it. So we're going to talk about lament some more over the course of, you know, the next several decades. (laughs) (laughs) And why is that? Because lament is counterintuitive. None of us, none of us intuitively step into the pain of someone else and say, let me sit in the middle of this pain until it shapes me, informs me, and breaks me and changes the way that I live my life. That's not natural. And yet, it is the invitation that Jesus gives to us. Now, I don't think, I mean, I don't think we can do that with every form of brokenness in the world. It would literally destroy it. It would would kill us. But Jesus steps in and Jesus laments over every broken cause and relationship and issue on the planet, you guys. And to lament very simply means that we're willing to hurt and we're willing to feel the pain of that which someone else is experiencing. And we're willing to take that and bring that in in its fullest language to the Lord. To lament over the brokenness of someone else's story. This Wednesday night, Christy went up to the World Prayer Center. They had a prayer meeting for the nation's. And at this prayer meeting, 
They were praying for widows and orphans around the world. They were giving staggering statistics, staggering statistics, up into the upwards of 130 million orphans in the world. Like, I can't, guys, I just, I can't even wrap my mind around that. I can't even wrap my mind around being abducted from your family or feeling the need to sell your daughter so that you could pay for your fishing boat. Like, but this kind of stuff is the brokenness and the reality of this around the globe, the poverty, the, the hopelessness, the despair. We prayed for the persecuted church. Like, when's the last time that I shed a tear over my brothers and sisters that I'm going to, I'm going to eat around the table of the Lord? Like, I'm going to sit down with somebody from Cambodia or Laos or Myanmar, and I'm going to sit right next to them. And, and I want to say, listen, I, shed, I, don't even, I don't even know who you are, but brother, I shed tears for you because I entered into that space of pain because I knew that you were away from your family and maybe had severed limbs or maybe had you know, misplaced freedoms because you are a follower of Jesus. And friend, I'm entering into that place of pain and brokenness with you. And, and here's the thing, mature, that th- this is an invitation unto maturity. Every time Pastor Christie gets up here and lets us know about an opportunity to go to Eswatini or Guatemala or somewhere else, it's an opportunity. These are not just fun trips. These are opportunities for maturity. They're an opportunity to care about some place and some people and some person other than you. And over the past week, as I've been sitting in this, guys, this is no condemnation on you. I've been asking myself, Jade, when's the last time you've wept over someone who's not yourself? And it's been a long time. It's been a long time. It's been a heck of a long time since I've looked around and I've said, you know what, I'm, I, I am broken over somebody else besides myself. But I need to mature. It's an opportunity for maturity. Look with me, it's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be done right here with these next two verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 21, Denise. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. I'm going somewhere with this. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. Think about this sociologically. Think about this geographically. Think about this racially. Think about this globally. God has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Now think about us. Think about who in this room, you know the struggle that they're going through. And here, here's, here's just a really practical challenge. If you, don't know, know, if you don't know anybody in Antioch that's going through a hard time, reach out and find someone. Reach out and find someone. Because I guarantee you, every single one of us are going through some kind of difficult space right now. And this church is the laboratory for maturity. The church is a laboratory for learning how to care for somebody outside of yourself. For carrying somebody else's burden. For weeping and staying up late at night and shutting off the TV and saying, God, I'm going to pray for my sister right now who just lost her job or just lost her mom. Guys, we have somebody in our congregation whose mom passed away by a by heart attack or a, a heart attack completely they were on a family vacation and just like that 
Like, like in one moment, she gets a call and she says, your mom just passed away. Like, like that's in our congregation. We have people in our congregation, you guys, that are going through horrific things. And look right here at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. If one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. Every part suffers with it. Now, in the physical, we know that to be true. You stub your toe and every part of your body is angry, right? Because it suffers. Like that pain shoots up to the head and the head then sends that, that signal out to every other part of the body and goes, ah, the pinky is hurting, right? So when one part of the body experiences pain, it shoots up to the head, Jesus, and as we are grafted into Jesus, Jesus will say, hey, someone in North Korea right now is hurting so bad. Someone down your aisle is hurting so bad. And this is spiritual maturity that we actually say, God, I want to enter into your sufferings by entering into the sufferings of others. Let's, let's keep this in mind this morning as we come to the table. And here's the verse that we're going we're gonna to make our table turn at this verse. Denise, Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, and let's look at uh, verses 5 through 10. Let's stand. Thomas, it's so good to see you, bro. In the same way, all right, let's, let's just, let's, yeah, let's all stand. We can all stretch. All right, now we're going to turn our hearts to the table of the Lord. We're going to focus on this verse right here. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. In other words, he, he didn't do this because of some misplaced sense of glory, right? He wasn't chasing something spectacular. God said to Jesus, you're my son, today I've become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus's life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him. And he was heard because of his reverent submission, verse eight. And even though he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once he was made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Isn't that amazing? Look at verse 10 right here. And he was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. In other words, Jesus entered into suffering so that you and I could be made perfect. And that verse that we started off with this morning, I didn't even start this off strategically. But that verse in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, that one day we're going to see him just as he is. We're going to see the cruciform Christ in his resurrected state. And the only way that's possible is because Jesus entered into suffering for our behalf. He is the ultimate mature man. He is the pinnacle of maturity because he lived the ultimate cruciform life on behalf of others. And friends, today as we come to the table, we come to an invitation to enter in, to experience God, the power of his resurrection, Philippians 3.10, and the fellowship 
of his sufferings. So let us come. I'll direct to you. You can exit on the left, come forward, receive the body and the blood of Christ, and we will pray a prayer of faith together, friends.